0: Welcome to the Union News Podcast. The UK's only All Things Union Podcast. Designed for your downloadable digital. Delight and appreciation. In this episode, Indian trade unions got 250 million people onto the streets last December. How did they do that? What is the difference between mobilising and organising? Asmel Sims and Josiah Mortimer's here with his radical roundup. Hello, hello listeners, hello, welcome to the latest edition of Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper and our special guest for this episode is Ajitesh Pandey, who is a senior official of the INTUC, one of India's largest unions with 40 million members, 40 million, yep. Mel Sims, in her thought for the week, is going to be exploring the difference between mobilising and organising, if you thought they are the same thing, Mel will make you think again. And of course, we have Josiah Mortimer with his ever-popular, ever-revealing, ever-important Radical Roundup. First up, Mel Sims, Professor of Work and Employment from Glasgow University, with her Thought for the Week. This week, Mel ruminates on the differences between mobilising and organising.
1: This week, I've been thinking about how we organise and mobilise workers within the trade union movement, and I've written about this with my colleague Jane Holgate in the past about how organising and mobilising aren't quite the same thing, although very often when we're talking, we tend to conflate uh, the two. But even when they are separated out as different activities, I think there is a tendency to think of one as somehow better or more desirable than the other. So it's worth thinking through what are the differences. And organising, to me at least, is about the graft of contacting workers, finding out what their interests and issues are, working out what can be achieved through collective action and making sure we keep those conversations open and flexible. And it's particularly about turning workers into union members and union members into leaders and activists. Mobilisation, by contrast, is about how we get workers to actively do things, to pursue their interests, to try and resolve their issues. So it's about turning that engagement with the union into action. And interestingly, when we look around at approaches of different unions, we can see that they've got really different ideas about the order in which those two things should take place. So some have a real view that workers should act first and learn what can be achieved through action before organising to sustain that and to turn that into sustainable workplace unionism. Others prefer to put in the graft of organising work before then trying to mobilise for changes. And I've seen both work well to create strong and sustainable grassroots unions, but I've also seen both fail. And ultimately, I've come to the conclusion that it's about suiting the approach to the workforce as it currently exists. So it's clear for many workers, a good win from mobilising can really boost uh, the organising activity. But for others, and particularly in a context like the UK, where there are very strict laws about uh, union action, we need to be really confident about our organising before we can be sure that we can mobilise effectively. So we have to do formal uh, ballots, postal ballots, which are expensive. So a push of uh, the organising activity behind the scenes um, will let us know what members think about key issues before we make that investment in a ballot. And that can save a lot of problems and challenges down the line. So I guess my takeaway is that both organising and mobilising are both really important, but in slightly different contexts. And I think from that follows the view that they demand different skills. So building the skills of our organisers and activists and helping them separate out those two different areas of their roles can be really important in building strong workplace trade unionism.
0: Many thanks, Mel. I suppose sometimes it's hard to know whether you should be mobilising or organising but I guess one way of looking at it is what's the end point, what's the objective here and that perhaps steers you in a particular direction about whether it's an organising approach or a mobilising approach that would be more effective just a thought anyway, let me know what you think, you can get in touch with the show at UnionJews at MakesYouThink.com you can follow us on Twitter at JewsUnion and we'd love to get your contributions (laughs) Now to our featured guest, our featured subject, and it was a great pleasure to be able to speak to Ajitesh Pandey earlier in the year about the organising feat that saw 250 million people, 250 million people get onto the streets of India uh, as part of a, a general strike at the back end of last year. And of course, our news media being what it is, this came as quite a surprise to, to the vast majority of, majority of us who, who aren't familiar with Indian news, let alone Indian trade union news, don't follow it. And no sooner had like, the headlines hit that there were these millions and millions of people taking strike action, than the story kind of dropped off the radar. So I just thought this is, you know, this is probably the world's largest strike and we ought to find out a bit more about it so that was the premise for my discussion with the Jeshish. and now of course you know i'll be the first to acknowledge from a position of ignorance it has to be said that that you know indian politics indian trade unionism is not straightforward it's complex and multifaceted there's a huge amount of intersectionality between labor organization politics class structures so i'm well aware that other views of this situation are possible but nevertheless, as a starter, as an introduction, as a, a look at what's behind the headlines, this is, I think, a really interesting stuff. And I hope you'll agree. Here he is. Ajitesh Pandey. thank you very much indeed for joining us on the Union Jews podcast. The world of Indian trade unions, I think, is something of a mystery to most of our listeners in the UK, which is shameful, really, given the size and the history of the trade union movement in India. But perhaps, could we start off by... You describing what your role is in in TUC.
2: first of all, I thank you, Simon, for having me on this uh, wonderful conversation, and for having me to at least let the UK people know of what the Indian trade union and how do we struggle and go about in India about the trade union. So, in regard to the role, I I would like to say that I am now associated as the youth wing president. For the West Bengal chapter now India we have many states there are around 28 states now so West Bengal is one of the uh, most popular states in uh, in the country and I am now heading its youth wing in the state so we are now inclined and we are now there working with the trade union at the grassroot level at the industry level and how to organize them how to fight out them we are here to let the workers know about what are their rights and duties and how do we get that rights from the employers and if not, then how do we approach the government or the court of laws and how do we get them the justice of the work they are doing. So this is our primary role which we are are doing.
0: Right. And I mean, so listeners are, are, are aware, I mean, you mentioned that West Bengal is a popular state in India. It yes. it has over 90 million people in, in West right. Bengal. It is is it right. it is huge. And uh, NTUC has about 40 million members, 40 million, a huge number in itself. But it's not the only trade union center in India, is it? How does that compare and fit in with the whole trade union movement uh, in, in the country?
2: See, Simon, uh, INTUC, which we have, is that Indian National Trade Union Congress. This was set up in around 1947, the year when we, the India got freedom. So this was set up by Mahatma Gandhi and it was done with an initiative with a motive to ensure job and social security of the workers in this country. INTUC is the second most oldest trade union wing which we have in the country. And now INTUC, we follow the ideologies of Mahatma Gandhi, unlike the left front, which are now still uh, looking into Marxism and Lenin. So there are difference of two ideologies which we are working. So INTUC is the largest trade union in currently in the country. We have, uh, as you said, about 40 million workers. And nationwide, we have also claimed that our membership is around 3.33 crores, which we have as on 2011 which the current present central government is reluctant to verify there was a verification process going on which was stalled just because of the reason that the central government the present bharati jinta party bjp government they also have a trade union outfit which is not directly related to them but yes it is their trade v- union wing which is called the bms so they the difference between us and them is of more than 10 million. So now that process has been stored by the central government. But as of now, on officially what we have claimed, we are at around 40 million, which is a very huge number. And INTC now is catering to most of the organized and unorganized sector throughout the country.
0: Right. Okay. So, so, what you, what you described there about your relationship, NTUC's relationship with Congress and the the BJP side of, of politics and their trade union structures, is, is that the case for all trade unions in India? There is always that political link or a link with a political party.
2: Political party, uh, as you correctly said, that Indian, in, in, in India, the, our trade union centres are directly or indirectly, mostly all of them are backed by the political parties. Now, as you see, INTUC, we are one of the frontal organisations of the Congress party. As it was, I said, set up by Mahatma Gandhi nonetheless. But then again, yet we have our own constitution and it is an autonomous organization. We hold our own individual election and there is no interference of any Congress uh, leadership in this election procedures. But yes, of course, when there is anything related to labor movement, is anything labor uh, related to labor issues the congress party is always up for the intuc and we work hand in hand cl- very closely with the congress party being the frontal organization so there is a relationship direct relationship but yes our functioning is not interfered by the congress party and they don't do that mm-hmm. in regard to other trade unions what you have asked in regard to other trade unions so there are around 10 central trade unions in the country there are mostly 10 big central trade unions in our country. One being INTUC, one being your uh, BMS, which is backed by the BJP. And then other, there are around AITUC, there is CITU, there is TUCC. Now, these all are uh, the uh, left-wing outfits. They are somewhat related to CPM. They are somewhat related to CPI. They are related to RSP, is the Revolutionary Socialist Party. Mm-hmm. CPM is the Communist Party of India. CPIM is again uh, another outfit which is the Communist Party of India, Marxist. So, there is nonetheless all the trade union wings in West Bengal, in in the country, are somewhat directly, indirectly backed by the political outfits. But yes, uh, uh, the right wing outfit, what we have, that is the INTUC, we are backed by Congress Party. But yet again, our interference in the functioning of uh, INTUC is not David Deacon.
0: Right. No, I, I I understand. I mean, it's interesting from a, a UK perspective where there is a debate uh, about uh, political trade unionism. Should trade unions be involved in politics? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Yes. Some unions are affiliated to our Labour Party. Some people aren't, and so and and so on. So, I mean, the, the main point of my discussion, I, uh, I guess, Ajayesh was the general strike that saw 250 million workers in India on strike towards the end of, of, of 2020 an incredible number and this kind of burst onto the scene burst into the uk media and we were all thinking well we didn't see this coming what's happened this is an incredible achievement to have so many people engaged in coordinated industrial action what was the background to to that why did it happen
2: now very interestingly you you see that uh our there are around as i said 10 central trade unions. And there are several independent federations which are not affiliated to any political party. They are working as their own and individually uh, for the rights of the workers. So now what has come is that around in the year 2011, all the central trade unions, we had a joint meeting. We had a joint meeting in regard to that how do we combat this situation to get it better in 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 our country because in our country you see we find very cheap labor there is certain standards which are not followed right here so what we had thought that the all the central trade unions the national leaderships they met and we formed a coordination committee so our coordination committee we had initially placed a 12 points charter of demand before the central government for its resolution so now this unity, this coordination has been continuing for the last 8-10 years now, Right. since then. So now only if we come to in regard to the last year's general strike. So now the first general strike which we did was in way back in the year 2011-2012. From then we have started it. So last year the general strike which we uh, had done was in regard to uh, certain points which we had given to the central government for resolution now since the central government last what happened is like in in the year 2015 when this uh, new government had come so there is ILC the Indian labor conference so only in the year 2015 was an ILC held which is supposed to be held every year so that now what happens in the Indian labor conference there is a tripartite discussion the central government is a party to it all the trade unions are party to it and big employers organization industries organization they are also party to that conference and in that conference that is addressed by the prime minister each year so now this has been continuing for like almost all the years except in since 2015 was the last conference which we had Mm -hmm. in that conference which was taken so there is no Indian labor conference ILC being going on we had placed around 18 points charter of demand now, if you want to know that uh, some points, if I want to highlight uh, yep. so that the people of UK might also know that what do you, why, why are we fighting? What is our struggle behind it? So now we are now fighting at the minimum wage that we want a floor level minimum wage that should not be of less than 18,000 rupees per month, which I guess would come to around, it's uh, $246 in a right. in a month. So that is our one of the prior, uh, prior uh, point. That is the first point what we are banking on. But on the contrary, you see what has happened that the central government, the labor ministry, they have now recently in past two years come up with a figure that is rupees 178 per day. Or if you convert it, that would be around $2.43 yeah. per day. Down the central government thinks that 2.4 dollar per day is a standard minimum wage. Now, if you take it to the month, only around 63 dollars. Yeah. And do you feel that 63 dollars is enough for a survival of a family of if you take minimum four? Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. We yeah. take into account the education, the education, because we need to educate our youth. India, mm. you see, India being a young nation, we have to educate our youth. So, $63 is the floor-level minimum wage, what the government is of the opinion. And on the contrary, we are fighting for $250 around minimum wages. Yeah. So that is one of our pride. Second, if you see that there are ceilings on bonus. There is ceiling on Provident Fund. On Gratuity, it's fixed at 15 days. The Gratuity, what we get, is fixed at 15 days of a year. And you have work. Now, this has been continuing since the act was enacted. That was way back in 1960s. Wow. Now, the quantum of gratuity that has to be increased. 15 days should come to 30 days, at least, what we are uh, struggling for. So, another point is like, now, one of the most important things, which I don't think so that people uh, in the country, in, in throughout the world are aware of, that this trade union movement, has been continuing very, uh, since very long time in India and we have been able to get around 44 central legislations for the labors. and if we also take into account the state legislations which we have. So there are around 200 different acts what we have in enforced in today in country. But this central government very surprisingly had come up and they have totally scrapped off all the laws. In well, they, the name of just,
0: codification. They just cancelled the laws, revoked the legislation.
2: Yes. Now what they have come up is like they have come up of the opinion that what we are going to do, that we are going to codify the law. We are. We don't want 44 laws. We want to make it four into four codes. They have now come up with four codes instead of 44 central legislations in the name of ease of doing business, in the name of Startup India, in the name of the process being very easy and transparent. But these laws which they have come up with have very severe impact on the general workers. You see, now what all codes do we have? The codes which they have brought in is like one is code of wages. Another is uh, code on social security. One they have come, come up with code on industrial legislations. And now another the last they have come up with the code on occupational safety and health hazards. Now in that you see if we come up with the code of industrial uh, relations, they have uh, uh, combined the trade union into that code. Now what will happen is that if these codes come into play, our trade union movement is going to be stopped. Hire and fire policy has been made so easy under these codes. No trade union, no government, nothing can interfere in and an employer can hire anyone, can hire anyone. Now we had like a, a, a law here is Industry Disputes Act. So now in that act we were supposed to like, if we have around more, more than 100 workers and if you want to close down that industry, you have to take permission from the concerned government. Now, what this code suggests is that we, they have increased the threshold from 100 to 300. In, in, you see,
0: it's, it's vehemently opposed to the consolidated legis- legislation, uh, and I can absolutely mm. understand why. Uh, because, of course, when, when legislation is consolidated, sometimes things get lost or missed out. Sometimes one might think almost deliberately by the people who are doing the c- c- consolidation. Mm. and And, of course... Mm just what you were talking about about the the threshold for taking industrial action to defend jobs being raised from 100 to 300 is clearly a real problem a, a real barrier to union organizing and influence uh, on 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 the ground so uh, is the government willing to negotiate or are we at the stage where actually there is no discussion and that makes industrial action unavoidable
2: now see if you want to uh if you want to note something that if we are uh, just for a formality, I call you over a meeting, and we just don't discuss it, and then I just hand over you the paper and say, "This is the government proposing. If you want to uh, have any suggestions, you can give. If you don't want to have any suggestions, that is also welcome because government is going ahead with these proposals, <laughs> these amendments, and and very surprising, you see, they have uh, since they have the majority in the uh, both the houses of the. Uh, parliament in in, in India it is very easy for them to get through any any laws which they want now for the formality yes we had meetings but which was very specifically boycotted by all the trade unions not only INTUC, all the trade unions the coordination committee totally boycotted it but the central government only with their uh, BMS, but very surprisingly you will note that BMS also which is backed by the BJP, by the current ruling uh, government, they had also opposed to certain provisions of the law but that was also not taken into consideration, that was also not taken into consideration. So it is a mere formality what the government has done and and now all the four codes uh, have been passed and they were supposed to get enforced from these, this month only, this April 2021. But now since the state governments have not yet been able to formalise the rules on which this law would be implemented, this has been again stopped for another one or two months, I don't know, by when the state governments will be ready to get the laws drafted, the rules drafted. Goodness. And, and if, if, for example,
0: uh, in West Bengal, Congress is successful in the current elections that are going on and forms the state government. Could they prevent these new laws being applied in West Bengal or would national government override them?
2: National government have an overriding effect because in our uh, structure, whatever the national law is, you have to abide by that. But yes, if if you want to have any deviation, any deviation that you don't want, we would have to have our separate uh, state legislation that would... Not directly interfere, but yes, would have a different uh, effect in in this uh, state. Likewise, I said to you that the threshold, which was two hundred, uh, for higher for any industry to close down, was a national threshold. But in West Bengal, we had reduced it to fifty. That even if it is fifty or more, then you have to take. Oh, where on the contrary, whereas in the national, it was hundred, but now that has been taken to three hundred. Whereas we were looking at fifty.
0: Right, right. So so therefore this is not something that suddenly happened without without some warning sign. As as you were saying, there's been a a journey between NTUC and other trade union centers over the past eight to ten years. You have essentially a hostile government coming into power about five five years ago, and then you have a whole series of events right. which leads to the general strike at the end of twenty twenty. And and I was going to ask you what yes. you know, what happens what happens next? Because from a UK point of view, you know, it disappears from view in in, in our media. But clearly, clearly there are issues, and clearly there's a there's a, a battle, a campaign on, a, presumably across in TUC in all the provinces to try and stop the worst effects of this new legislation actually taking hold.
2: The latest stage of the campaign is very interesting thing. So now, what had happened is the last year when we went for uh, the general strike. The campaign have now taken a bit of stall. The big campaigns have, because the the central government is not allowing the trade unions to organize big meetings. But on the contrary, if you see, the central government is busy holding elections in the other states with millions and millions of workers addressing them. So now our next uh, course of action is that now we are going to state level. We will be going to industry level. We will be going to sector level gate meetings in front of the factories we are not going to we and i'll tell you the other points what we are uh, planning mm. to do and we'll be doing it around this year is we are going to have joint industry level gate meetings and rallies now we will be having joint meeting and joint rallies in each of the industry uh, big industries and we will hold rallies in the industrial sector industrial zones which we have in our country along with all the t- uh, 10 Central Trade Unions would do that. What in West Bengal, what we recently did is that this uh, w- the rally, which we had, we covered 300 kilometers, starting from the border. We ended up into the capital of the state that is Calcutta, where I'm there. So from the Asan region, which is the Paschim mardawan district, yeah. that is the border, we held a rally of 300 kilometers, which was done in, in course of seven, eight days. And all the central trade unions had uh, participated in it and hundreds and thousands of workers had willfully, willingly joined that rally and we ended up into the capital. We gave a memorandum to the governor, to the governor which is the uh, constitutional head of the state. We sent a letter to the uh, chief minister uh, requesting her interference that to write the letters to the central government. To get our issues resolved. We also plan to have, we will be now uh, very recently I guess will be having a joint uh, meeting of all the trade union, the national leadership will again meet uh, in, in the country's capital preferably that is Delhi and there like each year all the central trade unions do meet in large numbers and all these uh, leaderships, district leadership, state leaderships and the national leaderships they meet they have a two days marathon discussion on what we have been able to achieve and what we are going to achieve in the next year and how do we plan to over so once we have that meeting we will be having our course of action for this year and how and this year also prefer what i feel that we will be going for a general strike in the end of the year Mm. and pressure on the government Like in 2017, we had a three-days Mahapadao. Mahapadao is that we had a three-days dharna. We had a demonstration of uh, continuous three days in the national capital, that is Delhi. And leaderships and workers from across the country in uh, millions had turned up. And we had uh, uh, met, uh, we had tried to meet the uh, group of ministers which the central government has deputed to hold discussions, but the group of ministers also were not uh, ready and we could not had our meeting. The only meeting which we had was in 2015. And after that, we are awaiting any meeting with this group of ministers and we are now planning to go the same way that we are following. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, well, I mean, I've, I've seen the pictures from your Twitter feed of that that series of meetings, that seven or eight-day series of meetings when you went from the north of, of the state down, down to the south – Fantastic numbers of people, huge turnout, and there's clearly uh, a great deal of support and, and enthusiasm amongst your members, but also this unity of leadership, this ability to con- maintain an agreed negotiating platform is so important but also so impressive as well so so I, you know, I wish you I wish you and your members well in that struggle
2: but one issue what I would also like to bring mm-hmm. to your notice is the farmers' issue yes. There is the farmers issue. Farmers, we also have unions. Unions are involved in farmers' agitations as well. That issue is one of the most important issue currently in our country. And uh, more than you see, uh, millions of farmers are now demonstrating at the national capital. But this government is very reluctant to hold meetings with them. Only uh, meetings and giving them empty promises is not going to help. Now, only answer, only question what we ask to the government is that you are bringing amendments for the betterment of the farmers, as you say. But the farmers are not ready for that amendment. They don't want that amendment. So if you bring in something good for me and I don't want it, you can easily take it back. You can say, yes. okay, you stay whatever you want. Yes. But this government is very reluctant to bring into that. And the reason being only they want their capitalist friends to prosper and the farmers to go down. So that's a very boiling issue which we have now currently. Right. I mean it,
0: would you say that the government is the government doesn't understand uh the needs and the priorities of the of the farming or rural community? Is is that it's not it's not just a kind of class issue. It's actually the government is is too detached from from the rural and farming community.
2: Not at all. They do understand it very well, and they understand it so well that they know that the farmers, that the agriculture economy is one of the most important uh, contributors to our GDP and they want that agricultural economy to be handed over to their capitalist Uh, friend or something. So they do very much understand that what is the potential of the agriculture, what is the potential of these farmers, but they are not willing to have a uh, discussion with them, a fruitful discussion. Yes, they have had around 12 rounds of discussion, but that bears no result. hundreds of workers have died in that demonstration. Because in Delhi, during winters, we have very spine-chilling winters there. Mm -hmm. But uh, the government was not bothered even to even have a tweet of that. Our Prime Minister did not even met them once. What this law suggests, that they would be totally promoting private that private Mondays are the private markets, private markets in places of the Private market. There are government setups. There are government markets in in, in the agricultural states. Now, government is planning to uh, through these amendment to bring up the private players into play. Now, in if you want to sell something in the government in the government market, you need to have your PAN card. You need to have your license. You will have to pay taxes. On the contrary, if you want to sell something in the private thing, you need not have any license. You need not to pay any taxes. So it is well and clear that the farmers would, no, no, very because they are very low earning group, they don't want to pay taxes and that tax, what is collected by the markets, is not used up by the government. That is totally used up for the development of that particular village, particular area of which the market caters to. And right. that is the reason of rural development, what we are having in our country. But once you go to the private players, all the uh, farmers would eventually gradually in a year or two years time would shift from private players. The government market structure will totally collapse and then the private players, their monopoly will come into play. Yeah, the government has rooted out the MSP, that is the minimum selling price.
0: Yeah, it, the the, the, yes. the playing field is uneven. It is tilted towards the private sector, isn't it?
2: yes we want the playing field to be even
0: yeah yes and we are
2: ready to do that but the government is not it would be remiss
0: agitation of of me not to ask you about your role in representing young workers as you said india is a young country something like 45 percent of the population are are age 20 or, or or under but organizing young workers from a uk from even a european perspective is a real challenge uh, most trade union officials are, are kind of old <laughs> and, and, and it's, very, it's quite difficult to get young people engaged in, in, in trade union structures. What's what's the, what's the strategy that NTUC uses to organize young workers in India?
2: Now, INTUC, we have uh, a very good number of y- youth having their representation in INTUC, not only in district, not only in state, but also in the national level. INTUC, we have our own youth wing, which is unlike other trade unions. We have our own youth wing, where we give opportunity for the youths to come up. Because you see any worker, they, uh, you said that the, mostly all the trade union workers are old. Uh, yes, they are old, but the reason why the trade union leaders are old is very interesting reason. The reason being is that when a worker joins the mm, industry at the age of 18 or 20 or 21, whenever they join. So they are very young and they are now the junior most uh, employed. Now they have to first learn, get themselves sensitized about the working environment, how to work. They are now concentrated with their promotion. How do I get better opportunity? How do I earn better living for my family? So and. Trade union leaders uh, are like, you cannot uh, compare a trade union leader to a political leader. If you want to be a trade union leader, you will have to have a vast knowledge, a vast experience on how to negotiate, what to negotiate, and what are my rights, and what are my duties. Mm-hmm. I cannot on the one hand ask only for the rights and not uh, perform my duty. Yeah. So, uh, so that requires a lot of experience. So by the time you gather all of them, you are 50 (laughs) plus 50 and above. So now what we have planned that our INT, our national president, Dr. G. Sanjeeva Reddy, he is such a visionary that what he had planned is that we need to get the youths involved in the trade union structure. Now we have formulated a youth wing in the national level, in the district level, as well as the state level. I am heading one of the states. We have our national chairman Mr. Sanjay Gaba who is heading the national uh, youth INTUC team. Now what our national chairman, he has been given a post, and office bearer in the uh, senior INTUC if you say, the main INTUC. He has been uh, made the secretary there. So we are working directly under the guidance of the seniors but yes our youth, our vigour our zeal are also being uh, implemented and used and we are being able to if you see a, a, a person has years of age if they interact with someone who is of 25 30 that will be much better if someone of the same age group interacts with them and tries to convince them to change yes, between. absolutely so that is our motive that uh, you gel on with the generation in which you are so to bring youths There is a very vital uh, role that what we are planning to do and we are being very successful in doing that. Our youth uh, structure is quite formidable and working hand in hand with the senior INTUC under their direct guidance and supervision our role is that uh, i i directly now report to um, our chairman and the state president of the senior intuc now whatever the agitation that we uh, that you must have seen uh, the long march what i was talking of that long march it was um, many places the youth wings uh, people were there and they were able to organize it and participate in that so the senior intuc Drafts out, chocks out the ways and the demonstrations the plan which we are going to do, and we uh, are the imp- we uh, are the implementing agencies. Supposedly, if you think yeah. we implement those ideas, we bring it to the grassroots where we can organize it and we can do it. It, it, it in a better.
0: Now, and and of course, once once young workers and young members see. That they are being listened to, that they have an opportunity to take action, it is a virtuous right. cycle that encourages more people to get involved, people to stay involved, yes so cool. Cool. Uh, Janice, but, um, if you were to if you were to look forward, if you were to look forward uh, over the next twelve months and everything goes well in all the campaigns that that you and in TUC are involved in, what would you hope to see change over over that period over the next year or so?
2: This is uh, something what the government should answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is something. What we would be looking forward is that our all issues get resolved. But yes, uh, it ca- it cannot be because of the attitude what we have seen in the last seven eight years. The government is not listening to the voice of over two fifty three hundred million workers. Yeah. So. Uh, what we don't expect a very radical change uh, in, uh, in the next 12 months, but yes, we are uh, very sure that we are not going to let this uh, four codes come into play, come into implementation because uh, having these four codes would completely uh, demolish the trade union structure from the very grassroots level because this labor codes does not allow an outsider to head the union at the plant level. Now, a worker has to be the president of the plant. Now, is it there a worker who is the president of uh, a union at the plant level? The employer can uh, simply ask him to, uh, will hand it over him a pink slip and then tell him that, yeah. okay, tata, bye. Thank you for organizing. Now we buy you. So that is the reason we outsider being an outsider, we are there and we are there to head them, we are there to carry out all the negotiations. Now now that structure will itself gone. And once that is gone, majority of the trade unions will not be able to survive. Yeah. So we are we all we all of them, all of all the trade unions, we are now completely focusing on how do we stop these central legislations. To be scraped off and these new four codes to come into play. So our primary uh, motive is to look after these and in the next 12 months we, uh, we hope that the central government will listen to us and at least not implement these four labour codes and if also they want to implement the amendments which the uh, trade unions have jointly submitted that must be taken into consideration that should be incorporated And then only that can be done. And the old legislations can be phased out uh, uh, in a phased manner.
0: Okay. Ajitesh, thank you so much for spending time with us. We wish you all the best and and every strength and power to your elbow as you fight for what are clearly some very fundamental rights and protections for for your members and for working people in India.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Simon, for having me over. And I hope that I've been able to give you a picture of our trade union struggle which we are having in our country.
0: Well, my thanks to Jitish for giving up his time and being so candid in our discussion as you know, we could go on and on. Uh, looking into this from, from numerous different perspectives. As ever, there's a companion blog to this podcast. It's over on the makesyouthink.com website under the blog section of that site. And in that blog, you'll find links, signposting, URLs, all the background and information you need if you want to explore this a little further. And if you've got a view about these subjects Jitesh and I were discussing, if, if you've got suggestions for what other parts of the world we could usefully and interestingly look at, then do get in touch you can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com you can follow us on twitter at jews union as ever we'd love to hear your views and now here's josiah mortimer with his radical roundup looking this week at the ending of mandatory wearing of face masks and union concerns about that what looks like at least a temporary lifeline for steelmaking in the uk gps taking court action over a takeover by Centene of their practices the police getting powers they never asked for and a rocky future ahead for postgraduate researchers. Over to you Josiah.
3: Thanks Simon. First up this week, unions have reacted with anger to the government's plans to make mask wearing voluntary after the 19th of July. Unison says now is not the time to throw caution to the wind when infections are on the rise. The National Education Union pointed to earlier moves to ditch mask wearing in schools, which have contributed to classroom chaos. Hundreds of thousands of pupils are currently isolating at home. And shop workers union Usdor said face masks should continue to be mandatory for shoppers after the 19th of July to protect staff, while Unite and the GMB also hit out at the move over fears workers would be put in danger. Next up, the government has announced emergency legislation to help defend the UK steel industry following pressure from unions and businesses. The move follows a review by the Trade Remedies Authority last year on defensive tariffs on 19 categories of steel imports, retained from when the UK was a member of the European Union. The government has accepted the TRA's recommendation to maintain the safeguard on 10 steel product categories for a further three years. Ross Murdoch, GMB national officer, said the announcement was a victory for common sense, but added it was only a temporary reprieve. The union is calling for a stronger trade defence policy. In NHS news, the takeover of GP practices in London by US health insurance giant Centene could be the subject of a judicial review, Unite the Union has said. Campaigners, including members of Doctors in Unite, have crowdfunded around £40,000 towards a possible legal challenge regarding the recent takeover by Centene's UK subsidiary, operos. The recent takeover of AT Medics, set up in 2004 by NHS GPs, affects 37 GP practices across London. Campaigners are waiting to hear if all the legal hurdles have been crossed and the case can proceed on the basis of the lack of transparency. Doctors in Unite Chair Jackie Appleby said Ministers' pledges that the NHS is not being privatised have been proved patently untrue. And now a report from Parliament. MPs have rejected an amendment to the controversial Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, which would have created a new offence for assaulting a retail worker. The move was spearheaded by Labour and backed by unions and employers, but the government has steadfastly refused to accept amendments to the policing bill. Police leaders have also opposed the bill's crackdown on so-called noisy protests, saying they did not ask for the powers. MPs were voting on the bill's report stage this Monday. And last up, universities must give postgraduate researchers the same protections as university staff, the university and college union said today, as it published its new manifesto for postgraduate workers. PGRs produce high-quality research that furthers their university's research output, but they don't get the same rights or pay as staff because they're classified as students. Some PGRs even pay to produce data that the university takes ownership of. As a result, they miss out on terms and conditions that are afforded to colleagues on employed contracts, including sick leave and parental leave. The UCU says it's an injustice which must end now. That's all for this week's Radical Roundup. Watch out for the full article on leftforward.org this Wednesday. And see you in two weeks. Thanks, Simon. Back to you. Many
0: thanks indeed, Josiah. And if you want to find out more about that campaign to make assault on a retail worker a criminal offence, you can visit or revisit the podcast that I recorded with Janie Jones, President of Retail Workers Union, Store, that you can download or stream from the same podcasting platform as you're using right now to listen to this. Well, we're nearly out of time for this episode. Don't forget that Union Jews is part of the Labour Radio Podcast Network, which is a a collection of over a 100 trade union-related podcasts. You can access all those shows through the Labour Radio Podcast Network portal, which is labourradionetwork.org. And I know you know that you can... Contact Union Jews by email, MakesYouthink.com and follow us on Twitter at Jews Union. Thanks to everyone who has written in with their thoughts and suggestions, liked or shared stuff on Twitter. Very much appreciated. If you could go just one stage further, just one stage further and subscribe to the show on the podcast platform of your choice and rate the show as well. We've got to be worth five stars, haven't we? Go on. That would be great. Very much appreciated as well. Well, it just leaves me to say thank you to Mel. Thank you to Josiah. Thank you to Ajitesh. Thank you above all to you for choosing to spend your time with us. We've loved having your company and hope you've enjoyed the last half hour or so. So look after each other and stay safe. And I'll see you next time on Union Jews. Bye for now. The Union Jews podcast is presented by me, Simon Sappo. It is a Makes You Think production.